This afternoon, we are looking at what Scripture teaches about the Sixth Commandment as summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 40 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 40, what does God require in the Sixth Commandment? I am not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor by thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds, whether personally or through another. Rather, I am to put away all desire of revenge. Moreover, I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself. Therefore, also the government bears a sword to prevent murder. But does this commandment speak only of killing? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he regards all these as murder. Is it enough, then, that we do not kill our neighbor in in any such way? No. When God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward him, to protect him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a quote that is often attributed to Joseph Stalin that goes like this, a single death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. Now it's not completely clear whether or not Joseph Stalin himself said those words. But whatever the case may be, there's, there's truth in that statement. Think only of the issue of abortion. When we think specifically of what happens in a single abortion, the horror of what goes on can strike us right in the very center of our hearts. When we think of that one abortion. But when we hear of millions of babies aborted every year, it's hard not to hear it as just a statistics. The horror horror we feel thinking about one abortion is not multiplied millions of times. Now, why is that? Well, I don't think it's because our our hearts are, are hard towards millions of abortions. It can simply be a defense mechanism to keep our emotions from being overwhelmed. It can be that we simply can't comprehend the scale of that tragedy. For example, a few years ago, the Chinese government reported that since 1971, there have been over 330 million abortions in China alone. 330 million. We cannot cannot even comprehend that. Think about that. 330 million, that's more than all the 
10 deadliest wars in history. And that's just China. We can't comprehend the scale of that tragedy. And so in some ways to us, it just remains a statistic. But God is different. It's not just a statistic to him. He sees every murder. And he's angry about it. God created life. He's the Lord of life. He's the one who governs all of life. It's not our right to take away human life on our own. That's why he also commands us not to murder. That brings us to the certain theme. God, the creator of life, commands us not to murder. We have three points in connection with that theme. God's good design for human life. Second, God's commandment against murder. And third, God's call for us to lay down our lives for others. You see, God had a wonderful design for human life when he created the world. He created humans in his own image. We reflected his moral character. We were created in righteousness and in holiness. What a privilege that is. David stands in awe of that truth in Psalm 8, when, which we sang earlier. He says, When I look up at the heavens and the work of your hands, what is man? That you should be mindful of him. You made him a little lower than divine and crowned him with glory and honor. It truly is amazing. The privilege of being a human created by God in his image. As David says, God made us as kings in this world. Royalty. He wanted us to rule over his creation. And as image bearers of God, we could rule righteously on earth. I want us to think about those two things for a moment. We were created in true righteousness after the image of God. And second, we were given authority to rule on the earth. And great authority used in true righteousness will result in the flourishing of life. That's God's design. Great authority combined with true righteousness will lead to the flourishing of life. And with these two things, the potential for humans to do good on the earth is enormous. Simply astounding the potential that God has built into human beings for good. That was his design. And with that status and authority, God called Adam and Eve to subdue the earth. And they could, they could cultivate the earth, bring it to its full potential. Even after God cursed the ground because of sin, humans still have great potential to help human life flourish by cultivating this world. Think of the abilities God has given to us. We create complex healthcare systems to treat diseases and to improve and extend human life. Last time I checked, no other creature on this earth was creating hospitals. We could give many examples like that. 
And you have this potential as well. Think about the work that you do every day. Your day-to-day work. Understand this, our everyday jobs are not just about making money. And if that's your view of your work, it's a a very limited view of work. It's a deficient view of work. Our work, our everyday jobs, is very much about causing life to flourish for others. Is that how you view your work? It's good for you to do that. It, It brings so much more meaning in your everyday job. This is true for any lawful job in creation. By our regular work, we work for the improvement of life in one way or another for other people. And again, that will add so much more meaning to your work than just trying to gain as much money as you can for yourself and get a few toys for yourself in life. It will add so much more meaning to your work. You are serving your neighbor through your work. And we can cause life to flourish for others not simply by our everyday work. God's design for human life is that every human being would be a source of companionship, love, happiness, and joy for other people. When God created Adam on the day Uh, On day six of creation, he said it was not good for Adam to be alone. His life would only really flourish in the presence of other human beings. They would provide him companionship and love. Now, of course, God filled this void in Adam's life by specifically giving him a wife. But the point remains that when people are surrounded by others who treat them with friendliness and love... Human life flourishes in a way that it can't when someone is alone. So I want you to see this, that each of you has been given so much potential by God to be an agent of friendship, love, happiness and joy to other people. Each of you has that potential given to you by God. By doing those things, you can cause the lives of others to improve dramatically. Now, the sad part is that through the fall into sin, humans have turned away from God's good design and from God himself. And when humans turn away from God's good design, turn away from God, then the sad thing is the potential for harms or for harm to human life is equally enormous. And we can see that all too well in our in our world. We can see that also in scripture. Take only the example of Cain. 1 John 3, we read that together, names Cain as an example of a murderer. He appears in Genesis 4, right after the fall into sin. Cain hated Abel because his own days were wickedness and were, were wicked and Abel's were righteous. 
And then finally, Cain, he attacked and murdered Abel. Think of the destruction this caused. Think of all the good that Abel could have accomplished in this world had he remained alive. I mean, at that time, people were still living for about 900 years. Think of how much Abel could have produced and accomplished in that time to to allow the lives of others to flourish. Also for Cain's own good. Think about how much Abel could have been a source of joy and happiness for those around him. Also for Cain. Cain himself could have been immensely blessed by Abel's life, by Abel's presence. But all of that was taken away by his hatred and destructive actions. Not only that, but Cain could have lived in such a way to help Abel's own life flourish. He could have multiplied Abel's own potential for good. But instead, jealousy and hatred filled his heart. He chose the path of destruction instead of the path of life. Brings us to our next point. So God's good design for human life has been completely warped by the sin of murder. We can see that in Cain. We can see that all over this world. That's one reason why God has given us this commandment. Now in Exodus 20, God states this commandment in four simple words. You shall not murder. Now that that gives us the greatest form of breaking the commandment. But God commands us not to take away the life of another person. It might be easy to think we can check this off our list. We have not murdered anyone. But as we see from Scripture, there's plenty of other things that constitute murder. Look again at 1 John 3. Cain murdered Abel because he hated him. And that hatred already constituted murder in the eyes of God. See, his hatred led to his murder. Sin never stays small. Sin might begin small, but sin's aim is always to grow. Sin always aims for the maximum. Starts small, but aims for the maximum. Verse 15 is crystal clear. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Let those words sink in for a moment. Everyone who hates his brother, or sister for that matter, is a murderer. That's what God says. We probably don't think of ourselves as murderers, but... Given that definition, we should ask, well, does that, yeah, does that describe my heart? Does that describe me? See, we all share in that same fallen nature as Cain. So those desires can arise in our hearts easily. What's the primary application 1 John 3 gives from Cain? The 
focus is not on physical murder in 1 John 3. The focus is on hatred. He says, you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. They're strong words. Our old sinful nature is not yet completely defeated. Do you see that hatred in your own heart? Question and answer 106 asks, does this commandment speak only of killing? The answer is, by forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, and anger and desire, revenge, and that he regards all these as murder. And again, those things can so easily arise from our hearts, things like envy. Envy someone for their looks, their personality, their possessions, whatever it might be. When we're envious of someone, we won't show that person love the way we're supposed to. Envy gets in the way of love. Anger is another one. How easy it is to harbor a grudge. What about the desire for revenge? When someone wrongs us, that desire can be intense. After all, an injustice was done. We feel justified in getting them back. We want them to feel the same pain we have felt ourselves. But again, that too is the root of murder. So it's good to examine our hearts. These things can live in each of us. And it can also be easy to hide them. We can't hide them from God. This is not how we were created to be. They destroy God's good design for human life. We don't even need to harbor hatred and anger towards someone to do this. The root of murder can also just be a lack of love and compassion to others. God created us to be a people full of love. Now, words like we have them in our reading from 1 John 3, they they are meant to awaken our consciences to sin. When we hear those words, whoever hates his brother or sister is a murderer, we might suddenly realize, wow, that's me. And that's one purpose of God's law, to awaken our conscience to sin. And at that point of conviction, God calls us to simply repent. To, to simply flee from hatred and, and envy as much as we can. Not to hold on to those sins. 1 John 3 says, No one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And again, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, let's be clear about what those words do not mean. Those words do not mean that a Christian will never struggle with sin, including things like hatred and envy. No other passages of Scripture clearly state that Christians are in a battle against those things. 
We face that in our lives. So we might find ourselves in a fierce battle and losing battles at times. However, the point of those words from 1 John 3 is that no one who is born of God is content to hold on to those thoughts and desires. No one who is born of God allows those to rule their lives. First John 3, verse 15 says plainly, No murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Let us flee those things, beloved. Let's, let's ask God for forgiveness. But let us remember what true repentance also includes. True repentance also includes a heartfelt joy in God through Christ. That's Lord's Day 33. And we can have this heartfelt joy even in the midst of the battle because we know Christ Jesus laid down his life for us. The wages of sin is death, and we all deserve that. And that punishment of death is for murderers, murderers too, including the hating kind. And if it were not for Christ, we would all suffer that punishment. What did Christ do? He stepped into our place. He laid down his life for us. 1 John 3, 16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. He suffered that penalty in our place. That punishment that should have fallen upon us fell upon Christ. Christ laid down his life for murderers too. Let's stand in awe of that. Let's rejoice in that. That's God's gift to us. It's pure grace. And then let us remember who we are in Christ. We are born again, as 1 John 3 says, no one who is born of God keeps on sinning. We, we find freedom from sin through the resurrection of Christ as we are raised with him to new life. That's where we find freedom from sin. It comes from the recreating work of the Spirit. Remember who you are in Christ. You were born again. You were raised up with him to new life. So now leave your old life of sin behind. Live for God. Believe, that's who you, believe that that is who you are. And now live your life in that light. Sin shall not be your master. You are a new person in Christ. Leave behind your old life of sin. Brings us to our last point. We saw in the first point that God's good design for human life is ruined by sin. However, our God is powerful. He can bring life from the dead. He changes us by the Spirit. And what a change the Holy Spirit brings. Now, instead of murdering other people, instead of hating other people, 
Through the power of the Spirit, we begin as Christians to lay down our lives, our own lives, for others. Instead of taking away the life of others, we lay down our life for others. What a massive change that is. It's a complete 180-degree turn. And this is a beautiful work of the Holy Spirit. And Christ is our model in this. He laid down his life for us. He didn't come to take away life. He came to give his own life. People who were guilty of murder. He didn't deserve to go through all that pain and suffering, but he chose to do it in order to give us life. He didn't deserve in the least to go to the cross for murderers. But he did it out of love to give us life. And Christ perfectly fulfilled God's good design for human life. He himself says in John 10, verse 10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Look at how he spent his life in service of other people. And God says to us in 1 John 3, By this we know, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Just as Christ did for us, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters here in this church. Remember, we can be such a source of good and of restoration for our brothers and sisters in this church. Question and answer 107 puts it this way. Is it enough then that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? No. When God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience. Peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward him. To protect him from harm as much as we can. And to do good even to our enemies. That's a high calling, isn't it? And none of us, none of us have reached that standard of perfection. It's hard to lay down your life for others. It might mean giving up your own comforts in life. It might mean giving up some of your enjoyment in life. Laying down your life might mean losing out on something that you want for yourself. It means sacrificing your time and energy for other people. It can be hard. And this is especially hard when the person you lay down your life for is, doesn't seem very lovable. It's true, or people are not always lovable, are they? But remember, were we lovable, such lovable people, when Christ laid down his life for us? No, we were dead in sin, but he did it anyway. 
Laying down our lives for others can be fulfilled in any number of ways. First John 3 gives one practical suggestion. It's, there it says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? We can give to those in need. A simple way to lay down your life for someone else. We can give out other examples too. Think also of the issues of abortion and euthanasia in our country. Why have these things come into our world? Why is it? Yes, human sin. But is it not at bottom that people don't want to lay down their lives for people who require a lot of attention and care? Raising a child requires much self-sacrifice. Caring for people at the end of their lives can require much self-sacrifice. Many people are unwilling to do that, and hence we have abortion and assisted suicide. Let's see the awful reality that is going on in our country. The weak and the defenseless are being put to death every day. What way can you lay down your life for them? Now, those are just a few suggestions that we can, we can help really anyone in need. There's so many people who need help, who need companionship, who need encouragement, who need care, who need a meal who need someone to come alongside them to take away some of the pain in this broken world. Just ask yourself a simple question. How can I use my life to cause the life of someone else to flourish? And that will give you the right perspective. Let's take to heart always the words of 1 John 3. Let us not love in word only, but in deed and in truth. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing together hymn, seven, or hymn 11, stanza 7 and 9.